Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Tuesday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on this occasion I am joined by Craig Cairns. How you doing? No, I'm all right. I wasn't sure if you were going to say something else after my name there with the cadence on your voice. Kind of, kind of mix it up. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to be looking back on the six Scottish Premiership games that took place this last weekend and plenty to talk about what I- Kind of really interesting weekend, uh, no nil-nils as well, which is always a bonus, and uh, difficult to know where to start this weekend, but since uh, their fans are getting a bit tetchy, since we've not talked about them enough, <laughs> let's start with Dundee United, <laughs> who went to Easter Road and defeated him 3-0, uh, are now third place in the league table and three points off the top, which is quite wild, and uh, we'll get to that in a, in a second, but we'll start with a game, uh, Craig you didn't see this one, did you? Live, uh, Not live, but you didn't watch it back in full, did you? I've not seen the, the full game, no. But the first highlight was uh, pretty much Edwards absolutely brutally bringing down Boyle, which I think was, I think it was one of those ones on another day. It could be, it could be a red card that uh, he went on to have an amazing game from what I can tell, but um, that 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 was a brutal challenge on Boyle. Don't don't like seeing that kind of thing, and I wouldn't be surprised if challenges like that that just stop attacks. I know that there's kind of like a there's growing rumblings that um, those should be red cards, and I wouldn't be surprised that if in say five years time or something that those types of challenges will become red cards. Yeah, I've kind of said for a, a while that all the kind of stuff with punage um, in, in football with like reds these days. Like I would like to see some of the the challenges that are that do result in players getting sent off, kind of scaled back a little bit, and I wouldn't mind that getting replaced by kind of 
the ones that are, are quite rough and also very, very obviously deliberate as well. <laughs> like if you're just kind of clearing out a player to stop an attack, I, I think that... Yeah, like usually like a three on two or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sorry, Dundee United fans, we've like started on you <laughs> and then I've brought up a negative, but you guys have been absolutely sensational. And I think this is the first time that Dundee United have... Um, I wouldn't say one comfortably, but one comfortably by sticking a few goals past somebody um, because their defence up to this point has just been sensational. And even this, in this game, they didn't give up too many chances to Hibs. There was that great save from Seagrest. At 3-0. At 3-0, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't like Hibs were were really bothering them that much for uh, for much of the game. I certainly can't remember anything from... Like while the game was still on the balance, that kind of thought, oh, that's a great chance for Hibs. Uh, Hibs were really poor in this game, and but we should say that Dundee United were, um, I mean, comfortably the better team uh, throughout this um, kind of uh, their system going into the game. It was down as a four-two-three-one on Google and on uh, even a Y Scout as well, which typically Y Scout typically goes in the kind of average position. So I was a little bit surprised by that because kind of watching the game back, I thought it looked more like a four-three-three in the fact that Glass. Declan Gass, who is kind of down as the number 10 or kind of the most attacking of the central midfield three, he was actually kind of more kind of a similar position to Ian Harks than he, he was as kind of out, out number 10. And instead, they had uh, Niskanen and Pollock playing qu- quite narrow and pushing the fullbacks quite up. So this wasn't this wasn't any sort of like smash and grab job Um hit them three times in the counter-attack kind of deal. This was Dundee United going to Easter Road and setting out to attack and setting out to try and take the game to Hibs and to win it that way. And they certainly did that. And you kind of see as well from the the opening goal uh, how their kind of system works. So it's just like a a throw-in into, into an area where usually you would think you would find Doyle Hayes and... Joe Newell, or, or one of the two, is kind of the two Hibs players sitting in front of the back four. Neither of them were there. Instead, it's Pollock coming across from the coming across to the right wing, who manages to win possession back in that central area. Then they make a couple of quick passes, and then it's a terrific finish from Nicky Clark. And that actually came at a time where Hibs had started to get a wee bit of momentum going. It was the only really time in the game they kind of had that. Other than when it was 3-0 and Dundee United didn't really have to do much anymore, that I think Dundee United had been a little bit careless at having been so good in their passing and the kind of early going, they were a little bit careless at a couple of times, kind of some rough passes out for the back that immediately put them in trouble. That gave Hibbs a little bit of a lift. And then the goal kind of popped out, not quite to say against the run of play, because over the course of the half, it definitely wasn't. But it, it just in the few minutes beforehand, that was Hibbs finally looking like they were starting to get a little bit of a groove going, uh, having done nothing to that point. And then United scored, as I said, excellent finish. And to that point, it really looked like being one winner. Tam Kurtz really seems to know what he's doing. I know there was a lot of doubt going into the season about whether he was up to taking such a big job. But yeah, he's, he's shut up all his critics. Uh, I like how he speaks at 1.5 speed. I have to turn down my podcast player when he's on. And uh, if you don't, you don't think he like unnecessarily complicates his sentences. It's like he's just saying like all these simple thoughts and really just kind of cliches about football most of the time. But it's like 
it's like it overcomplicates and trips himself up sometimes. Like he's going for one cliche and then he'll switch to another and he gets all mixed up. He's he's good entertainment to listen to, but he also seems to know what he's doing on the football pitch. The um, What you were describing there about the way you, you can just see that the performances are controlled. They're, they're coached well. They know what they're doing. And he, he started off this season, we were a little bit surprised because there was all this talk about Tam Kurtz's kids. And we were a bit surprised by how much experience he started off with at the start of the season. And okay, they were terrible in that first game, but the he's kind of slowly introduced youngsters here and there and it's it's really working for them. It'll be interesting to see how long they can they can sustain this for. Yeah, I mean I saw kind of a kind of model that they're kind of the team that's kind of outperforming their XG the most and stuff. So there's probably bound to be some sort of regression, but they're certainly better than than I think a lot of us assumed going into the campaign, and they're playing better football as well. I saw them earlier in the season. It's probably kind of the worst three games to see them because I saw the Aberdeen game where they were humpty, the Hearts game where they were kind of, with the exception of about a twenty minute period in the second half, they were kind of barely getting out of their own, own half for a lot of that game. And the other one was the Rangers game as well, which obviously you're not going to have a lot of balls, so you're not going to dictate. So I just kind of thought. I just kind of assumed they were kind of very similar to last season because the team looked a bit similar and kind of the earlier performances looked looked more kind of familiar to that. But they're 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 starting to starting to kind of find a bit of confidence in their kind of attack and play, and they've still kind of struggled for goals. Obviously, they didn't in this one. Uh, it's going three away for home, but I think that's only taking their season total up until up till something like nine. Uh, I think I'm right in saying. Let me just double check that, but. They're still, I think, I mean, if you look at their, their front, kind of, the furthest four players, so you're thinking Glass, um, with, with Clark, Niskanen and Pollitt, it's not terrible, Like, but I think we know that Peter Pollitt, we know what kind of he is at the Scottish Premiership level. Glass is uh, a very kind of, very kind of highly rated young talent, but he's going to have kind of off days. Nicky Clark has been a top flight striker, better than I thought it would be when he came up last season and I thought he was their best probably their best striker out of the, the three last term overall um, between him and Shankland anyway Shankland obviously didn't get the goal return but I think he did a lot in his hold up play which was a bit better than many were expected but Clark had an excellent first campaign in, in the top flight but again he's not going to be somebody that's going to across the, across the course of the season you know be somebody who's going to be a leading man or a team that finishes third so and I've, I was actually wrong. It's only eight goals have scored, so there's still there's still a little, little bit of lack in firepower. They don't really. I mean, other than this kind, of, this kind of looks like a decent side so far. They needed like a winger like that, but they still maybe lack a little bit of depth in the wings. They probably still lack a little bit of, especially experienced depth in the centre in terms of a creative player. So scoring goals is always going to be a trouble. But they still at this point in time after. Uh, Hearts conceded at Ibrox at the weekend that United currently have the best defence in the league. And that's something that could potentially go a lot longer this season. Seagrass is still there. It's not going to be leaving until, you know, at least January. You'd probably be surprised if even that happened. You'd probably look across the next summer for when he's likely to go if he does. Uh, Charlie Mulgrew has been excellent this campaign. His his um, presence, his experience, his, his leadership is also probably brought a little bit of extra and Ryan Edwards who was good last year especially when he came back into the side towards the kind of last three four months of the campaign after Mickey Mellon had kind of preferred Mark Reynolds and Mark Connolly it is the central defensive duo but he's really stepped up a notch this season 
Scott McMahon is, as I said at the time, and uh, I think some Dundee United fans were a little bit sceptical of this, that I said that Scott McMahon would be not just a replacement for Jamie Robson, but even better. I think that's looked to be the case so far. And on the right, Freeman came back at the side, played very well against him. He's had a kind of lot of injury bothers over the last like two, three seasons. So he's an option as well. And also Liam Smith is, I mean, I don't think Liam Smith is on the ball, one of the best fullbacks in the league, but defensively, somebody that doesn't really let you down. So they've certainly got a good core there. And if you think about guys like Jan Fuchs and, and Callum Butcher protecting it, then that's a, that's a unit that can, I doubt they're going to finish third this campaign. And I do still doubt they'll finish top four. And even top five, you would think it's a bit of a stretch. They're only, Hibs are having a bit of a wayward period. United are, are performing very well and they're still only two points ahead of them. But you certainly at this point, if you're a United fan, got to be thinking, right, if we don't get top six, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's uh, let's move on then. Oh, wait, actually, I've not really talked about Hibs. Hibs are shit. <laughs> really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I think my mic cut out again there. I don't know what, what happened. Um, yeah, did, I, did go to say, I did go to say something in that silence. Um, yeah, I was going to say that you've mentioned every Dundee United player. Can we talk about Hibs quickly now? Um, their defending was absolutely atrocious. Not only that, um, I mean, the worst example of it actually was, did you see Murphy and the goalkeeper trying to claim offside when they were both like, playing Fuchs about four yards onside? Well, I wondered whether Murphy was off the field. It doesn't matter if you're Is off it the not? Field. No, I remember there was one, I'm pretty sure there was an incident like that in a, it was a World Cup or a Euros or something, or something and somebody had slipped off the pitch and I'm pretty sure the player was under the impression that that meant that they weren't active. Right, but, okay. Um, so I, I think that's what Murphy thought anyway. Maybe I'll be corrected on that, but uh, I, I think that you're still active I, I mean, I'd say unless you're maybe like getting treatment or something like that, I'm pretty sure that if it's if you're just kind of your momentum takes you off the field, I think you're still included. But I'm sure Craig Anderson will quickly point out that I'm wrong if I am on that. Um, um, I thought that that goal, would, like, because that was a build up to the second goal, because then when the corner, and that was the corner from where Edward scored, I thought that kind of showed up just how much more Dundee United people want this game because the ball's cleared, it's cleared to the edge of the box. It's Declan Gass has all the time in the world to, to feign a shot and then knock it out wide where Scott McMahon has all the time in the world to put it across. And there were just so many moments like that throughout the game where Hibs just looked like they were sleepwalking, honestly. They really never got going in this game. United were second to every loose ball, making it much harder, winning every kind of battle in the centre of the park. It was, yeah, Hibs were really, really poor. And Nesbitt's uh, purple patch is over. More <laughs> like a purple dot. <laughs> right okay we've talked about how shite hips are let's move on shall we and let's Vic. go <laughs> sorry what was that it's just the way you're like right we've talked about how shite hips are let's move on I'm sure that'll gain us more friends <laughs> well, they were. I mean I don't think hips are going to disagree with us they were freaking rotten on Saturday uh, and yeah let's go to oh god right where we're going next who have we not really talked about uh, let's go to a game that you watched let's go to Ross County against St Mirren this yeah. was quite an interesting one as well. A five-goal thriller. Uh, Samirn winning 3-2. Maybe not quite as close as the, the, the score suggests, having Samirn been 2-1, sorry, 2-0 and then 3-1 up. But how was this match? You, this is the one you've seen and I've only seen the highlights. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was an entertaining game. But if, if we're going to talk about the teams individually. I think I think Ross County are, are done. I, I don't see anything in Ross County that's going to be 
that they're going to turn around under this manager. I congratulations on the three points to Saturday, Ross County. <laughs> there were because um, there's been there's been noises that oh they've performed well here and there and um, at the start of the season it seemed the first few interviews that Malky Mackay gave it was like oh well last season that team would have gone on to lose five or six and we're not doing that we're, we just lost 3-0 or something like that and he's changing his team every week he's brought in a bunch of low knees and we've seen in the past teams full of low knees how much are they really committed to to keeping that club up or or, or to the cause or whatever the, the is relative to the team that they're at but they're they've been more leaky than they have last season at the back that that's always been their their the big issue for seasons at County has been their defence. They've conceded 19 goals in their nine games this season, and it was 14 at this point last season. And at the other end, whereas previous County teams that concede a lot of goals, they still have some goals in them. This one just doesn't have goals in them. Even the goal they score in this game to get back into it, it's a deflected free kick. Before that, their best chance was a good save from Anik, but it was a deflected shot from Spittle. Spittle looks like the one guy who could be very productive for them this season. Um, but looking at their strikers, they've got one goal between their three strikers and that was a penalty. And I, I just don't see, I don't see enough in this team. I, I, that, that howler of a mistake, those kind of things happen, yeah, but there's only so long you can keep blaming individual mistakes before it becomes, no, that's just how you're putting your team out there. So, yeah, um, I think when Mackay was appointed, the thinking was this guy's got a lot of baggage, but he has a bit of pedigree. And I think so far he showed that he maybe doesn't have it in him to to turn around this Ross County team, which was absolutely gutted before he came in. Uh, I just want to, just want to talk about that mistake because it's, it's quite <laughs> funny. Uh, yeah, what's uh, Baldwin, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, What's his first name, Jack? Jack, Jack Golden? Who's the guy they've actually signed? He's like, I think he's like, he's 27 yeah. or 28. They're giving him the captaincy. He's coming from Bristol Rovers or something along those lines. Uh, Aye, I believe it was ex Sunderland, ex Peterborough. So a decent pedigree behind him. Uh, to kind of play most of his career in League One in England, which for a Ross County player uh, is usually quite good. I mean, with all due respect to County, it's usually the kind of the teams that are expected to finish in like the bottom, like three, four of the Scottish Premiership, usually are hunting in kind of these days, League Two. But he, and he was in League Two when they signed up for Bristol Rovers, but otherwise he's played most of his career in League One. So that's a, a fairly strong pedigree. But yeah, that was a shocker of a mistake. And looking back... Right as they got back into the game as well. Yeah, and I was wondering whether, like, looking at highlights, and I, I looked at the goal again uh, from the kind of normal angle to see if I could tell whether he got a shout. But Ed Mackay said he didn't. Yeah, aye, yeah, because and, and that makes sense kind of looking at the, the footage as well because uh, Ashley um, Maynard Brewer, he's completely caught on his heels. He is not expected. He, he's not a goalkeeper who's just giving his centre-back a shout and is about to collect that ball, uh, put it that way. Uh, Mackay said that that guy's got 250 games under his belt. He says 90 times, 99 times out of 100, he just heads that away, but tried to be too smart, didn't get a shout. And that's what happened. I liked how, this, I I I liked how uh, on the highlights, and I think Ricky Foster kind of caught himself halfway through as he was saying it, but he, 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 he was committed and he had to, but he said that when you allow players with the quality of 
Scott Tanzer to get in behind. <laughs> we'll get punished. Where is Scott Tanzer? Two assists, I think he got this last weekend, did he not? He's been very good for them, by the way. His deliveries into the box have been exceptional for St Mirren this season. He's been a very good signing for them, and that's one of the things that Goodwin's done very well. He's he's dipped into the Irish market and done well, but he's also brought in experienced SPFL pros, which have done a turn for him. For him. Marcus Fraser has been a, a, a solid sign and he's brought in Joe Shaughnessy, who's become his captain. And, and then he's just another one as well. So, yeah. And we should probably mention the second goal as well, because that's maybe because Smith, or, sorry, Maynard Brewer, he, uh, he did really have a go at Baldwin afterwards. And that's probably because there's only four minutes passed since he, basically handed St Myrna a goal as well by coming out and getting nowhere near a cross. And how long do you reckon it is before we see Ross Lidlow again? <laughs> yeah, because I think Maynard Brewer actually looked fairly solid when he first came in, but yeah, that was... Didn't cover himself in glory in this game, but I, I just think... It just looks like... I don't I don't see a starting eleven that's going to keep them in the league in this county squad as it stands at... I don't think it matters which of those keepers you have. I just have no trust in the defence. Harry Clark looks like, even though he's made these mistakes as well, he looks like their best defender, midfielder and striker. Um, but there's only one of them. So I don't know what I'm <laughs> going to do about that. And uh, what about Samirin? Samirin are scoring goals. St Mirren have been absolutely fantastic recently. Um, they're not too dissimilar in the way they set up from Hearts now that they have Ronan. Him and McGrath both like to play off the front, drop deep, run the channels, that kind of thing. Um, and they like to get their 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 wing backs quite high. Miller's maybe not quite settled yet. He's been he's been okay. But uh, as I said before, Tanzer's been another just kind of solid signing that they've they've brought in, and he, they're getting a lot out of him. Like, as I say, as as um, his deliveries into the box from set pieces and and things are, have just been vital for them. And he he reconfigured his defence slightly, and it seems to be. I mean, they're still conceding some goals, but uh, seems to be largely working for them. So yeah, I I, um, I like the Lucas at Mirren this season. I still think it would be difficult for them to take that one step further and get into the top six. Um, I mean, it's been well documented that the league's a bit stronger this season. And the other factor is, do they hold on to Goodwin for the whole season? Yeah, um, I would I would think so. I wouldn't, I mean, if somebody comes, somebody comes a call in, I think Goodwin would be behind Callum Davidson, for example, on the list. So, They've got a wee bit of a, of a cushion in case anybody wants to come and, and pinch the manager. Yeah. Uh, go back to running. It does seem to, like, I've not really had a good look at this guy yet, but it does seem to be, like, it's kind of coincided with him kind of making his mark in the team that they've managed to start scoring goals. Can you tell me a little bit more about him for somebody who's not managed a chance to have a good look at him yet other than um, on highlights packages? Yeah, so he's on loan from Wolves. He's 23, I think, something along those lines. So he's not like a, he's not like some sort of callow youngster. He's got a fair bit of experience behind him already. He's had loan spells in Switzerland and Slovakia. And in terms of how he plays, I think you only need to watch that man of the match performance against Aberdeen, where <clears throat> even his two goals, you can just tell that this boy's been coached at a high level. He, he's, a, he's a good player. The way he lets the ball run across him, 
for the first goal he scores against Aberdeen, which he gets via the aid of a deflection, but still he 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 does more than enough to deserve that goal. And then um, for the second one, not only is it an absolutely amazing finish, the way the way he just waits a beat, uh, waits for Bates to dive in and make his move, and then lashes it in. Uh, he just I and 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 just some of the passing that he was playing and. Uh, it's just a very intelligent player and him alongside McGrath, they just look like they can cause teams a lot of problems because now you have two players that are technically gifted and are intelligent and can hurt you with passes and uh, and with goals. And it's no, it's no longer a matter of just marking St Mirren's danger man out the out the team. They now have they now have two playing off bro and Brophy's uh, loving it as well. Right, let's move on, shall we, to game number three and let's stick with kind of teams I've not kind of talked about too much at the top of the show so far this campaign. Let's go to the St. Johnson against Livingston, where Livingston run out 3-0 winners. Uh, certainly a shock to me because I had Effie Ambrose as the captain of my fantasy team this week. <laughs> so for my captain, I got negative 13.8 points. So that was bloody lovely, wasn't it? Right, so without going too much about uh, my um, inability to pick the right type of players uh, to try and overtake you at the top of our Terrace League table. Livingston were, I mean, I thought they were, they were pretty impressive in this one. Uh, they, again, kind of similar to the kind of Hibs and uh, Dundee United game, I thought they kind of, they came out with a bit more kind of, a bit, they kind of slightly wanted it a bit more, I thought, than St. John said, although the gap in terms of like the, the motivation and, and the urgency was it wasn't really as big in this one as it was the Easter Road, but still, uh, Livingston, the kind of Martindale, I think, has had to change a number of things this season because he's not really been entirely well. Results haven't been great, so usually you kind of change things up. They do have quite a, a big squad with the, the number of players that kind of added in the summer, and, and I, I remember speaking about all the guys they've got who could play left back who came out of the club. Uh, two of the, only two of them started this game, and uh, that was um, Montana, who was on the, the left wing, which I think is is where Levy wanted to sign him to play anyway. And Penrice, oh. who was originally signed as a kind of midfielder, left winger, he was playing left back, but he was he was replaced at halftime with, with Jackson Longridge coming on. But the player that really kind of the two players that really kind of stood out for me uh, were. Well, I thought the midfield three all played well, but they were all kind of much of a muchness in terms of kind of solid seven bordering on 8 out of 10 performances, but the guys that really stood out were Odin Bailey, who I thought was excellent. And he really did a great job in terms of kind of bringing the ball up the park. He looks like a really exciting type of player when he runs with the ball. He's kind of got those, like, he's got long stride, kind of those elastic legs, so you don't really know, kind of even when he's running a straight line, you kind of get that sense that he could go in any direction at any point. And he was, he was really strong in terms of getting close to Bruce Anderson in attack, making sure he was an isolated, causing problems for the St. Johnson defence, but also Bruce Anderson himself, I thought, played really well. His hold-up play, I think at times this season for Livy, he's been isolated too much and it's not really had much service. He's been you know battling three defenders at one time, but his hold-up play was very good in this and they managed to get two assists and a really well-taken goal as well. Obviously, we'll get on to the mistakes made in the St. John's defence soon enough, but Livy can be very happy with the performance. They've done a lot of high pressing. So even though the mistakes were hilarious, they were in part due to Livy really kind of putting 
pressure on St. Johnson's defenders quite a lot, not letting them get into rhythm, not letting them just play it out from the back. And it was kind of evident in all three goals, even though with two of the goals, it was obviously more to do with St. Johnson being hilariously weak at the back and, and making just incredible errors. So I Martin Dale was saying after the game that it's the first time in a while where he's had kind of squad selections to 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 make. Uh, he's had like some players back from injury to give him a squad to choose from, and not only that, but um, he kind of he was under he he put himself under so much pressure by saying we will not get relegated before, and he's still searching for that for that. Uh, oh no, sorry, they got they got that one. You always forget they get that one against Celtic. Okay, they're on yeah. the, they're on the weirdest run of form where they didn't score a goal for like six games or something, and the only game that they scored in in that time was against Celtic in a 1-0 win. Uh, so yeah, sorry, I forgot that they had already had their first one, but he, he'd like, he, he put himself under that pressure. And not only that, his best striker is at our broth, and he's been playing Andrew Shinney up front. It's up again, he got a 1-0 win against Celtic with Andrew Shinney up front. So um, yeah, but did you see much in Livingston? This is another game that you've watched that I haven't, but did you see much in Livingston that would suggest that that this could be sustained and they could start climbing the table or is I don't I don't mean like three 0 wins but I mean like putting wins together or was it a matter of was it just a matter of like how bad St Johnston came across in the highlights? No, I think Livingston can at least. But I don't think I think the problems at centre half and although both played well in this game and because St Johnston chucked a lot of balls into the penalty box and and Obelai and and Fitzwater dealt with pretty much everything and what they wouldn't deal with were usually going straight to the goalkeeper. So they had a decent game, um, but yeah, I still don't trust really their, their back four. I still think they're going to concede a, a few goals this season, which is going to keep them at the wrong end of the table. But I do like the look of this midfield three a bit more than what they've been kind of trotting out so far this season, and that has to do with injury and also to do with the fact that Omayonga took a wee while to get up to speed. So it was Omayonga, Scott Pittman and Jason Holt. Holt yeah. Now you're, you're lacking height, and that's, this is the problem with every team, that they're lacking centre-halves and they're lacking height which isn't really a great thing to have in, in the Scottish top flight. But I quite like that. I think that's maybe the most kind of well-suited midfield three they could come up with. So there's there's three guys there. That, I mean, the tallest must be about five foot ten, but there's enough like work rate and quality on the ball from all three of those guys. And you get the, the goal threat from Pittman as well. That, that, could, that should be enough, I would say, to at least kind of keep their heads above water and what I mean by that is 10th um, Anderson still not fully sold on him as a, as a lone striker but you get more performances like this out of him and like you get more players close to him as well because I think that, that certainly helped and Bailey was as I mentioned was doing very well in particular at not only not only supporting him but being another kind of real threat like giving the defence something to think about so then that opens just a wee bit more extra space for, for Anderson rather than just, you know, being an extra body beside him, somebody who can actually do something tangible will help as well. I, so, yeah. I think both, two, both things you've said about Bailey, I think are are in evidence in that opening goal, how he can uh, take the ball up the pitch 20, 30 yards or whatever and find a teammate and his quality in front of goal because he, he he stays quite composed and quite a, a, not a panicked situation, but there's there's a lot going on in the box at that point, and he just kind of calmly takes a touch and slots it past the keeper. So yeah, I think what you've said there, um, both things you've said about him, uh, were in evidence in that first goal. And yeah, it looks like the front three looked decent in this game. Yeah, yeah, they, they did play well. Montana was he was just okay. He didn't really do much on note, I would say, but uh, yeah, Bailey certainly stood out. 
Let's talk about St. Johnson, who were fairly poor in this one. I think a lot of guys had off days. The back three didn't really play very well. Um, Den Dogger, I suppose, was okay. But, I mean, Ambrose <laughs> didn't cover himself in goalie, especially at the third goal. McCart at fault for the, the second one. Uh, the combination of him and Clark, where Clark could have just lodged up the park as opposed to trying think, to... I, I think Clark's totally at fault for that. I, at the watched... same time, McCart can still get his feet sorted. Like it was the, <laughs> it wasn't like he was just launched off the back of his foot. But to me, McCart asks for the ball in front of him, and Clark, at best, puts it through his legs, and then he's got to readjust his feet to let it go through him, and it and it hits his it hits his heel. I I don't know. I'll look at it again and and decide. But from I watched it a few times, and I thought that was a very poor pass from Clark. I think it was uh, a poor pass. I'd argue that he should have just leathered it up the field at that point. Yeah, he should have, but McCart, I still think McCart has pl- enough time to sort his feet and not do what happened, which is... Was- but he's turning to make the run, his head's turned a bit, uh, I don't know, I'd, I'd go using McCart there. But- it's a terrific ball, I would say, terrific through ball. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if somebody on the other, if it was somebody in a Livingston shot who'd managed to do that, that would be a goal of a season contender. <laughs> and then, yeah, the third goal was... Ambrose and so everybody was kind of blaming Ambrose like, as far as I could see because uh, I checked the St. Johnson fans for him afterwards as well and everybody seemed to be kind of saying it was Ambrose's fault for that one and I mean kind of but I also could understand why Ambrose would be completely taken by surprise that O'Halloran would want to go across him mm-hmm. yeah. usually in that situation a defender the defender doing that will go out to the flank because that's usually where the danger isn't so to turn back inside is something that I can understand that Ambrose was kind of taken by surprise, but uh, still, still at fault as well. You'd have to say, and it was just—I mean, it's a bad because both of them got head knocks, so you didn't want to laugh too much. But it was also quite funny. They look—it looked like uh, nobody shouted or somebody didn't listen to a shout, um, basically. Yeah, um, and because both of them were trying to just kind of take that touch to kind of then like, clear it or, or turn and look to see if they, they were basically just trying to buy a bit of time to see what to do next, basically, and, but they were both doing it in opposite directions. But that St. Johnson team, I suppose, I suppose up front, it's, it's still quite similar. Um, it looks very different now from at, at the back and uh, that right wing back position, even in the centre midfield to an extent, they've, through injury and a transfer, that back three's been ripped up a bit and they've not really settled on something. Uh, Since then, Muller kind of looked okay for a bit and seemed to replace Kerr's overlapping for like a half against St Mirren, but then... it didn't seem a bad player overall. And they've seemed to try to recreate that with Rooney now and it's not quite worked. And now he's injured. So, yeah, it's a slightly worrying time that St. Johnston, I would say. And that was another one because I think another last game, or at least kind of a recent game, that they went through O'Halloran quite a lot and he's he's been in good form as the the right wing back. And they try to go through him quite a lot in this one, but I think Livy were ready for it. There was often two sometimes even three players kind of in that area of the park, making sure that O'Halloran didn't hurt them too much. Willowsman was a surprise inclusion as well because he played 65 minutes for Canada on Thursday. And he looked like somebody that played 65 minutes for Canada on Thursday and only had yeah, two days yeah. rest and, and with a lot of travelling. But then Can again, I just say... Oh, sorry. Go for it, no. 
I was just going to say, when I said it looks slightly worrying for St Johnston, I, I mean, that that's all relative. I mean, like, after winning two cups and finishing top six for how many seasons in a row? I'm, I'm talking about, um, uh, from that kind of standpoint, I'm not saying they're under any threat of being in a relegation battle or anything. I think they're too good and their manager's too good for that. Right, where shall we go next? Let's go to Ibrox next, where Hearts stay undefeated, Rangers stay top of the table after a one-all draw. Uh, and which Rangers missed a lot of chances. Uh, Hearts hung in the game, played quite well in the second half and eventually got uh, the reward with a Craig Halkett header in the 90th minute after Alan McGregor had made an arse of trying to come collect the cross. I think for Hearts for this one, Craig, you'll probably agree with this, it is... It was a kind of promising performance in terms of what you're hoping to see from them the rest of the season. But at the same time, probably should have been beaten comfortably if Alfredo Morelos had had his shooting boots on. Aye, definitely. We, we, that's probably the worst performance Alfredo Morelos has had in front of goal <laughs> and since he gave the Scottish football. Um, yeah, but at the same time, I think, I think there were elements of it that showed that it was a top-of-the-table clash because I think we have so often, as we discussed before it, so often we've played that fixture after looking promising at the start of a season or a certain portion of a season, and then we just get turned over easily. They just, and I suppose on another day that game plays out and they do take more of those chances and they do beat us easily. But just, yeah, the way the way we, we stayed in the game, I think before Rangers scored, um, Hearts didn't have a ton of possession, but when they did, they looked okay with the ball and then they looked a bit better about five minutes before half time and then in the second half created created their own chances as well and uh, had a few very good opportunities and then uh, eventually hung in there and got a reward yeah we rode our luck but I think I think um, when you're comparing it to what previous good heart sides have done gone there and wilted I think I think it was way more promising despite the fact we got absolutely battered for a lot of that game. Yeah, but it should be said as well that Rangers, Rangers' first half performance was probably the best Rangers have played all season. They they knocked it around with real kind of zip and purpose and they were really kind of relentless in their pressing as well. Hearts didn't have, I didn't think Hearts, like I see some Hearts fans more at halftime that weren't having a go and stuff and weren't imposing themselves in the game and just being too passive. So they couldn't get the ball. Like at any time they did get the ball, they were kind of swamped by by men in blue. Like especially kind of in the centre of the park. The first half, I thought Benny Beningame really kind of struggled with with just kind of how overrun they were getting because it was three Rangers players to two Hearts players. And it's usually fine because those guys put in a lot of work. So even when they come up against a, a midfield three, they tend to win the battle because they do the work of four men, <laughs> let alone three. But in this one, like Rangers were just kind of so... The Rangers midfield three were just kind of that relentless and, and kind of getting on top of them that it was just hard for them to hard for them to get their foot in the ball Devlin was still dealing with it to a reasonable extent because he's kind of the more dynamic of the two and he just kind of zips about absolutely everywhere but even he was kind of struggling he, I thought he had a, a better second half for that, even the first half actually struggling is a, a harsh way to put it I thought Devlin played quite well but I thought Benny struggled a little bit but then he came into a game as things wore on and in the second half I would say as well, I thought Rangers did drop off a little bit, especially in terms of their pressing. They still were knocking it about really well and kind of as evidenced by the amount of chances they created. 
And not to be too harsh on Hearts as well, like when I said that Rangers should have won a game comfortably, a lot of the chances did come as well in kind of the last half hour when Hearts were starting to push men forward and, and trying to get something out of the game. And Hearts were looking good when they, when they went forward. It was just a case that Rangers were still looking quite dangerous in the counter-attack. That was where kind of a lot of the more, especially the more kind of guilt edge chances that Rangers had as the game went on, those were occurring in those periods when it was, the impetus was on Hearts to try and get a second one, uh, to, sorry, to try and get back into the game. So you're right, there was certainly a lot of positives to take for this for Hearts, even if it should have been, on another day, it would have been like a probably a 2 or 3 no win for Rangers. Yeah, or yeah, it's just something as simple as if Morelos is in form in that game, we lose it 2 or 3 no. I think it is as simple as that. But uh, yeah, I mean, all credit to Hearts for hanging in, and as I say, because even, even just psychologically, mentally, uh, getting that, that just... Does a lot for keeping. I'm trying to think of what to call it. I mean, it's not a title race, but keeping that challenge at the top end of the table going for as long as possible. Keeping the momentum good. There's a lot for that. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I um, what did you think about Lundstrom? I mean, he has he had a very rocky start to his. Ibrox's career, it looked like the fans were being a little bit unforgiving with him after a few matches, but he's settled in and Gerard's now making the point of saying he's been their best player for five or six games. He probably has, and it's mainly just since they've played him at a number six. For whatever reason. And given Davis a rest. <laughs> Aye, well, Davis, Davis didn't have a particularly good start to the season. He was really poor in, what game was it? The game at Ibrox that they lost. A European game? Yeah, the Leon game. He was really poor in that. And you don't usually used to see Stephen Davis have a bad game for Rangers, um, especially well after the first kind of six weeks or so after he first came back when he was clearly just still rusty. He's been pretty much excellent just about every game since then, like kind of their Mr. Consistency, but not been that great to start this campaign. And Lundstrom in that position, like it just seems to play a lot better when he's got most of the kind of game in front of him uh, rather than maybe having to go up and down as a number eight. And it just didn't, it just didn't really look comfortable in that number eight role. He didn't really look like he knew what he was to do. He kind of was a little bit, looked a little bit fearful on the ball. You kind of want, for a team like Rangers, you kind of need guys to be brave and, and to try things in those kind of areas. And I'd, I'd wonder whether he lacks the kind of technical ability to do that as a number eight. But as a number six, kind of see that he's physical abilities, the fact that he's kind of got a lot of energy, he's, like, he's got a high work rate, he gets around the park, he's a big guy so he can, he can win the ball back and that's kind of the job he's doing right now and then obviously as well kind of helping popping up with very good goals as, as well because it was a Gordon maybe would have, because he got handed it, would maybe be a bit disappointed but I think you yeah. can see from behind the goal he was a bit unsighted with kind of all the kind of players rushing towards Lundstrom as he kind of picked up the ball with plenty of space in front of him and it's a really kind of well hit strike as well so I wouldn't put, attach too much blame to Gordon so Lutra was good somebody else uh, for Hearts Craig Halkett not only scored the equaliser thought he was Hearts best player on the day he had one really bad pass in the first half which yeah. <laughs> led to the kind of first of several Morelos chances uh, which Morelos should have scored but other than that I thought he was excellent in terms of just being dominant winning everything in, in the air winning just seemed like all of his battles and then obviously popping up at the exact right moment after McGregor had fucked it yeah Flat. Um, right. I, Sorry, we probably should move on. We're running out of time. Let's go to let's go to the game that you could have half watched while you were working on Saturday night. That was Dundee 
two, sorry, yeah, Dundee two, Aberdeen one. Dundee getting their first victory of the season. Aberdeen now without a victory in 10 games. Pressure ramping up on Stephen Glass. Anything from this one that suggests that we're maybe a little bit unlucky and are going to turn it around very soon? I don't think so, no. I mean, <laughs> I just I, I, they just look far too weak in defence. Okay, they can keep the ball, they can create chances, they, they can even score goals, but when you're conceding just about every shot that you're conceding, you've just got no hope. David Bates is possibly the worst signing of the season so far. <laughs> I was just about to ask you about him because towards the highlights, he's very, very poor for that first goal. But he's been kind of forced to play him now because McCrory was out for this match. So he was forced to play those two at centre-half. He, he couldn't drop David Bates. But I, it's just... I don't think they're a lost cause, but they really need to do something about that defence. That needs to be his sole focus for the next wee while because all teams are doing is hitting balls in behind and they're struggling. Basically, they're struggling at running towards their own goal and defending their own box. And that seems to be, it, it seems, you, I mean, you can make uh, this, people are making this argument about possession and corners that they're having and all this kind of stuff. But maybe teams are allowing them to have the ball because they know that if we win it in certain areas, we can punish them because they don't know how to defend. And I don't know, like I said, it just seems, if you look at quite a lot of the goals that they've conceded recently have just been balls in behind their defence that they struggle with. You say uh, people are saying this. It's their chairman, really, is saying this. And John Collins. And John Collins, yeah. Somebody who's often um, obsessed with possession during his uh, managerial career. Yeah, and a, a, a disciple of Craig Brown as well. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of racking up now. It's hard to... I mean, when you're losing to a team away from home that's not won a game in the league till that point, you kind of think it right. It's like, where is this victory coming from? Especially when you've got Celtic. Well, we said this on Friday <laughs> on the Patreon for the <laughs> we Celtic Hibs and Hearts in the next game. So the victory's coming against Hearts. It's, it's already guaranteed. I mean, Hibs fans uh, will be saying the same because they've got a pretty good record against Hibs. Ah, yeah. And is that Easter Road to the Hibs game? Or because they do have a good record at Easter Road as well. Don't have a great record at Tidcastle, but they do at Easter Road. So let me just double check that. Yeah, because if they do, then we've maybe figured it. No, it's at Pataudry. So no, they're not winning that one either. And no, it's not Celtic, sorry, it's Rangers. So then they're going to Ibrox. So yeah, they're not winning that one. And then, yeah, they get their victory the day before Halloween against Hearts at Pataudry. Congratulations, Stephen Glass. Um, hopefully you're still on a job by that point. Because <laughs> at that point, it will be 12 games without a victory. And that's that's a long time for an Aberdeen manager to go without a victory. Well, it sounds like Cormac, Cormac has to stick by him through this run of matches now after his uh, radio performance. It doesn't sound like he... I mean, it would be some it would be some U-turn from him if he sacks him after the next four games or something. He was very staunch in his defence of them. <laughs> yeah, and still... <laughs> this still happens data. loads. This, this still happens loads in football where they're like... It's usually not in this way. It's usually not like putting yourself... On, on a radio programme to talk about it it's usually through a statement or something but they could often be quite vociferous and quite passionate and then 
couple of results later, it's like, oh, nope, sorry, didn't even that. <laughs> Get them out. So uh, if we lose the next two games, I still wouldn't be entirely surprised, even after uh, Cormac's passionate uh, rant or spiel or uh, ramblings, whatever you want to call it, on, on Sports Sound on, on Monday night. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about Dundee? Well, they, they really needed that, didn't they? And me at the weekend previewing that match saying that uh, Griffiths had disrupted their attack, he threw that back in my face. He'll be kicking footballs at me in the stands soon. <laughs> kicking pyrotechnics. At or pyrotechnics, yeah. yeah. It's just Chris Boyd that gets footballs punted at him. It's uh, supporters get pyrotechnics kicked at them. He even kicked something in his celebration. Did you see that? I was like, come on, Lee, just stop it. <laughs> Knowing your luck, it's going to... Just going to swerve into the stand or something. He I also couldn't got, see what it was that he kicked, but he also got involved in the Jack McKenzie thing. It was him that shoved him over. <laughs> which is just like, why you get involved? Like that Aberdeen, uh, the, the Dundee coach was was being a bit silly there. I mean, he kind of fell back, but he kicked out and he did kick McKenzie in the knee. Um, and Mackenzie's reacted, he shouldn't have, he really shouldn't have. But then there seemed to be confusion about why McPake was sent off. But is there not, did I make up that there's a rule that it's like the manager takes responsibility for the behaviour of the other coaches on the bench or something like that? Is that I, why? I, I don't think so. I think you can get the R coach sent off. I've definitely seen it before. Right. And I where I've got that from then. Uh, McPake is the one that puts it behind them originally, so I don't know if he just the referee just went to the source. That seems quite harsh for a, uh, for a red, but it could be two incidents. It could be that, and then something he said afterwards or something. Yeah, because uh, yeah, he was uh, there was a bit of a shouting going on between some Aberdeen players. Scott Brown came over. Declan Gallagher was pointing and shouting at McPake as well. So yeah, it's, it's possible that he's then said something, and it's an, an accumulation. But yeah, it did seem a bit like just to kind of flick the ball behind them, and then his coach starts to play keepy uppies with it. <laughs> And like Aberdeen should not in the position that Aberdeen are in. Scott Brown is one of the first people over there as well. I mean, they should know better at that point. I mean, you you're in a bit of a desperate situation as an Aberdeen team at the moment, and you're just you're biting. You're you know what I mean? They're they're trying to bring you down, and you're biting, and you're losing the head at this silly little time wasting incident. And I it just. They, they, you feel, you feel like at that point Aberdeen have got to remain more focused and get back into the game, which they kind of did at this point. I mean, it was it was quite surprising when they scored uh, when they scored the goal when they did, but they they didn't really go on to capitalise on it, did they? Is there anything else to be said about Dundee before we move on? Oh, sorry, I just went back and <laughs> Aberdeen again. <laughs> sorry, Dundee. Is, is there anything else to say, or we just gonna have to move on? All right, that's right, Let's move on. Uh, sorry, Dundee fans. We'll talk about you when you win your second game. So, I don't know, December. Right, final match. Motherwell nil, Celtic 2. This one was... So there was a little bit of controversy kind of later in the game with the, the handball that, that wasn't given for Motherwell. They definitely deserved the handball. It was a clear handball from volleyball and goalie. But he's just kind of flicked his, his hand out and, and pushed the ball away for some reason. And But even Graham says, like, probably wouldn't have mattered. Motherwell didn't really deserve anything from the game. Celtic were Celtic were a lot of what we kind of saw so far this season, and that they were really kind of strong going forward. That they're, they're, especially their counter attack is frightening at times. Uh, they really can cut teams open and, and do it well. And they've got a number of, of very good attacking players. Jota just absolutely murdered Stephen O'Donnell in this game. Uh, Roderick played well. Turnbull played well. Furuhashi 
was a threat as he always is. So for a Celtic point of view, a lot to like about the performance, but still a defence, still ropey as fuck. Carl Stahlfeldt still doesn't look very good. It's kind of panics anytime he has the ball, just seems to empty out the park so often. There was a point in the game as well where him and Cameron Carter-Vickers just let the ball bounce between them with neither of them going up for it, <laughs> like it's just a high ball. So there's there's definitely the problems in that back four. But if they manage to get, and it seems, in a way it seems doubtful because they don't really have the personnel. And you often you also wonder as well how much and system plays into how, how well the defence performs. So you wonder whether it is going to, whether it's capable of improving. But if they do manage to improve, it's like Julian's expected back soon and that at least might improve things we've got a better defender. And Cameron Carter-Vickers looks all right to me. So if you put the two together, you maybe got the makings of a decent set-and-a-half partnership and then at least they're maybe not shipping as many goals. And it's maybe harsh to talk about defence in this one because they did keep a clean sheet, but they still don't look particularly solid at that area of the park. But going forward, they're obviously brilliant. Motherwell, I think there was a couple of couple of grumble ones, but it came to team selection. Van Veen started on the bench. Uh, he went instead for the, the two kind of wingers in Woolery and Roberts. Probably with the aim of, you know, trying to get men in behind, but also maybe trying to press Celtic's defenders as well. But if you're going to go with a kind of high pressing attack, then playing Sean Goss instead of Mark O'Hara in the centre of the park doesn't really make much sense. And to me, it doesn't really make much sense either. Managers keep falling in love with Sean Goss, keep thinking it's a good idea to sign him. Uh, you can see why he's a very technically good player, takes excellent free kicks and set pieces, but he really doesn't do a lot more than kind of just pass the ball. And he's not good enough at doing that to just be that kind of specialist type of player, somebody that the team has to carry. It's not good enough. Don't know why he should start. Every time he starts for a Scottish team, he never <laughs> seem to play that well. Yeah, Sorry, I, Sean. I did like after this game when Baganj was asked about a title, title challenge he was like I thought I thought the league was over mate I like <laughs> I do like his uh, his just total disdain for uh, our media sometimes uh, or, or like the, the, some of the stupid questions he gets sometimes but he so far hasn't come across as a uh, arrogant or that but um, yeah I thought that was quite funny because uh, yeah like two weeks ago he was being told that it looked like that the title race was over and now he's being asked because you're like you've you've closed you've closed the gap on Rangers and this kind of thing but yeah they, they look very good don't they I mean Hyota just looks like the kind of guy that's going to tear defences apart all season the way he does that quick sort of double you know, when he feigns to go one way, he feigns to go back the other way. He's very, very good at that and just absolutely leaving a defender on their arse. He looks like he's got uh, a very good ball into the box as well. He just seems like he's going to be a, a very good player for them. So middle to front, obviously Celtic are, are looking very, very good. You're right about them still. I'm actually quite surprised how much he's persisted with Starfelt. I think... Um, I expected him to spend a bit more time or a bit of time out the team, but he seems like he's just picked them regardless of performance. He's just picked them every week. It'll be interesting to see how often he plays over the next something like five games in 15 days they've got or something along those lines. So it'll be interesting to see how many of those he plays and if and when they do make changes, whether that improves them or not. But in saying that, they got, I mean, they got a clean sheet in this game. How yeah. was... Um, how was Bolingoli? Does he look like a player who could become a regular in that team? Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> I suppose it wasn't too bad, like despite the kind of obvious error, he looked kind of off the pace a bit to, to start with, kind of settled down a bit. But yeah, no, nah. <laughs> not really. Um, no, actually, he did. As the game went on, he didn't. He actually looked not too bad. Um, so yeah, maybe there is a place for him. And this is a guy that's played in like the Champions League and was quite high, highly thought of at Rapid Vienna. So a good manager, a, a good coach. Maybe get get him improving even further. I would completely write him off uh, if he's getting a chance. It shows that. Because I think the club would have been happily saying to Ange, as you often see, even when new managers come in, I think sometimes like sporting directors or members of the board or whatever will say like, yeah, did he, did he play that guy? He's rubbish. We're just going to want rid of him. And if we don't play him at all, he might be happy to go and leave and rip up half his contract or something. And I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like for Celtic said that to Ange to start with, but he's kind of given him a few chances now. So maybe he sees something in him. So yeah, it'd be interesting to, to keep an eye on because Celtic doesn't seem like they have a left-back. They sound like Liam Scales, mm-hmm. who can supposedly play at left-back, but have we seen him? Except from playing against Wraith Rovers in the Cup, but I don't think he's played in any other games. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe I yeah, saw not, not that I can remember anyway, so he doesn't seem like he's the answer. And obviously Greg Taylor's out for a while. Ralston's kind of regressed a wee bit back to the mean. It's still a bit better than, than what he was before, but you're still thinking that Juranovic will, in, in time, make that right-back position his own. Yeah, so if they can yeah, if they can get a tune at a ball and goal and put Juranovic on the right, then that might improve them a little bit further as well. But but yeah, um, probably not much else to say about Motherwell. They were kind of kind of maybe similar to Dundee United. Uh, Dundee United fans <laughs> won't like me for saying this, but kind of in terms of what the stats suggest, they, they might be due, they were due a bit of a regression. I think we've seen that in the last couple of games. But also hard fixtures, playing away at Hearts and Holton Celtic. I mean, that, if you if you don't get if you get zero points for that, I don't think anybody's going to blame you. That expected points table that's kicking about, I'm sure, has them at the bottom, doesn't it? It has it Aberdeen fourth or something. Yeah, Celtic top, obviously, because there's a Celtic fan that's putting it out every week. <laughs> and because they've I've seen probably... that table more times than I've seen the actual league table. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Right, so that does it. Well, yeah, with apologies to Livingston and Dundee fans from me, yeah. <laughs> that's fine I spoke about love enough right, to get uh, to work <laughs> right thank you very much for everybody who for joining us uh, we'll talk to you again soon make sure to listen to the Patreon that's patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast thank you goodbye Sports Social Podcast Network with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.